I want to just thank you again for being here. We're going to continue with our uh, message series called Habits, where we are looking at developing our spiritual disciplines. And so we have these spiritual disciplines in our lives that should be keystone habits. And today we're going to be looking at the, the habit of sharing your faith. Sharing your faith. Now, some of you are looking at me like, wait a minute, sharing my faith needs to be a habit in my life? Like, that's part of my spiritual journey? I thought that was only for certain people. Well, I'm here today to tell you that it should be all of our spiritual habits in life to share our faith. And so you may be wondering, wait a minute, do I have to go to the street corner and tell people they're going to hell? Do I have to go to door to door to tell people they're going to hell? No, we're not asking you to do that. But we are going to look at the idea of sharing your faith and what it could look like by looking at the life of Paul today. Now, it's interesting, when it comes to sharing our faith, it's usually seen as the way of a radical. Like if, if someone in your life is all about their faith, it's like, whoa, you better stay away from them. They're kind of crazy, all right? But really, we like to share our opinions and, and things we value and things we're passionate about all the time, right? Like, I love pizza. I'll talk about pizza to you all day, okay? All day. We can debate, all right? Sloopy's is really good. Sports teams, we can debate all day. I'm a fan of a not-so-loved team here, Okay? I can debate you all day. I'll share with you my passion for that, right? We do that a lot with trivial things, don't we? Things that don't really actually matter. But when it comes to eternity, when it comes to things that, things that actually matter in life, usually a lot of us find ourselves stepping back and saying, no, I can't. Or no, I don't want to. But what we have to understand today, and what I want us to all understand this is not working, just to let you know. There you go. What I want us to understand is that no matter where you come from, so no matter where you come from or where you are today, sharing your faith should be the habit of anyone who follows Jesus. And here's why. Acts chapter 1 verse 8 says this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. To give you a context of what this is, this is the risen Jesus. He already died and he rose again and he was hanging out with his disciples. And before he ascends into heaven, he turns to them and gives them this commission. He says, listen, you are going to receive this spirit and he's the one that's going to give you the power to tell people about me everywhere. Five weighty words for us today. And then he tells them how it's going to happen. It's going to begin in Jerusalem. It's going to spread to throughout Judea and Samaria and then to the ends of the earth. And then you read Acts and guess what happens? They begin in Jerusalem. Then it spreads to Judea and Samaria and then it goes to the ends of the earth. And it's been going to the ends of the earth ever since. This is Jesus' commissions to his disciples. It's the same commission to you and me today. And, I, and I'll show you why. Because Titus tells us this. Titus 3, 4, and 5. 
It says, when God our Savior revealed his kindness and love. What's God's kindness and love? Well, the fact that he took on human form for us, that he lived a human life, and then he lived that life all the way to the point of death, even death on a cross, and he died with the weight of your sin upon him, my sin upon him. But then three days later, he rose again. That's God's kindness and love. And it's through that in which he has saved us, right? It's through that in which he has saved us, which we just sang that, living hope. He's our living hope because he's resurrected. And it says, not because of the righteous things we have done. There's nothing you or I could do in life to ever achieve salvation on our own. There's not enough church that can save you. There's not enough good deeds that can save you. It's only through Jesus in his resurrection. And it says, not what we have done, but because of his mercy. He washed away our sins. He's given us a new birth and a new life through through who? The Holy Spirit. So listen, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, God says, listen, you're going to get this Holy Spirit, and he's going to give you the power to tell people about me everywhere. And then in Titus, we read that when we place our faith in Jesus Christ, that we are going to receive the Holy Spirit so that we can do what? Tell people about me everywhere. Isn't that amazing? The same Holy Spirit that the disciples had in Acts is the same Holy Spirit that we receive when we place our faith in Jesus. Is that great? At this point, you're probably thinking like me, like, wow, that's a lot to ask of. We are called to share our faith, but yet time and time again, even me, I fail. Even me, I think, man, I could never do that in my life. Even me, I think, wow, that's a lot to ask of me. You see, one thing you don't really know about me is that I struggle a lot with sharing my faith. For some reason, ever since I grew up and in high school and in college and even to this day, there are times when I'm sitting there talking with someone or I'm working with people or whatever it may be, and I see an opportunity and say, wow, this is, this is it. This is like just a, a lob, and all I have to do is knock it out of the park. And yet, you know what I do? And I don't swing. I freeze. I actually get very nervous when it comes to sharing my faith, and I always said, man, that's fine. It's not my gift. It's not something that God has given me. I'll just be friendly to people, and they'll see my love through what I, what I do. But really, God has called me to tell people about Jesus everywhere. And yet there are time and time again, I struggle with sharing my faith. And so, yes, God has called us to share our faith, and it should be our habit. But here's the other thing we need to understand today, is that no matter where you are on the journey of faith, there will be barriers that hinder our desire and efforts of sharing our faith. So no matter where you're at on your journey, maybe you're super seasoned, you've been around Christ a lot, there are probably barriers that you hit when it comes to sharing your faith. If you're new, there are going to be barriers that you're going to hit when it comes to sharing your faith. There are going to be those barriers. And so let's look at what those possible barriers could be in our lives. Pastor Jay, who you just saw in that video, he was the pastor at the chapel in Akron for a long time, or one of the pastors, and he pulled hundreds of people at that church and asked them, what is the greatest barrier for you to share your faith? 
And these were the five, top five answers from uh, those people. And I bet you we can all relate today. And so here are the barriers to sharing your faith. The first one and the most overwhelming one that came back was apathy. Apathy. Apathy, if you don't know what that is, it's no internal or compelling incentive to actually do it. So what's your barrier of sharing your faith? People said, I don't have any really compelling incentive to do it. Wait a minute, what? You've experienced this amazing new life in Christ and you know that he died for you and he rose again and he's given you life and life to the full as John 10.10 says it and yet you have no incentive to share it? Yet we find ourselves in this time having apathy, right? It's a barrier in my life. There are times where it's like, oh, I don't really feel like it. There are times where I get to that point and it's like, yeah, it's not worth it. Who am I to think that way? Apathy could be a barrier. Is that a barrier for you? It's a great thing to think about. The next barrier that comes up, came up a lot, was time or busyness. Time or busyness. Don't raise your hand. How many of you have said, you know what, I should have these people over to share Jesus with them, to show them what uh, uh, having a relationship with Jesus looks like? I'm just too busy. Next year, next week, whatever it may be. How many of you have said that before? Oh, I don't have enough time. I don't have enough time. I'm too busy in life. Here's what we need to understand. Time and busyness are directly connected to interest and passion. You're going to spend time. You're going to make yourself busy with what you're interested in and passionate about. And so that's something to look at in the mirror and think, man, what am I passionate about? And what am I going to spend my time on? What am I interested in? And so time and busyness could be a barrier for you, is it? That's a good thing to ask yourself. The next one is fear. The next barrier is fear. This is, this is my first barrier that I hit all the time, every time when it comes to sharing my faith or sharing, people, sharing Jesus with people. This barrier for me is pro, it's huge. It's super tall, it's super wide, and I hit it often, okay? And it's fear. How many times are we scared that someone may not like us anymore or someone may not accept us anymore or someone may not want to be our friend anymore? I think that all the time. I'm like, I just want to be liked by everybody. I'm not going to say anything. I'm too scared. I'm fearful. But what I keep forgetting is that sharing your faith is not about you. Sharing your faith is not about you. It's not about us. That's what Jesus says to his disciples in Matthew 10. He says, listen, I'm going to send you out as, as sheep to be in the midst of wolves. You need to be wise as serpent, innocent as doves. And then he says, oh, and by the way, they're not going to like you, but don't worry about it. It's because they don't like me. That's what Jesus says. Basically, he's telling his disciples, it's not about you. Just go do what I've called you to do, what I've commissioned you. And if they don't like you, so be it. Deal with it. Man up. You're a grown-up, right? Sharing our faith is not about me. It's about the glory of Jesus and for the sake of others. It's about the glory of Jesus. There's a vertical realm to it. And for the sake of others, there's a horizontal realm to it. Fear. Fear is a barrier. Maybe it's yours. Another barrier is the lack of knowledge, or I should have put in there experience. Well, I haven't been going that long. 
or I don't know enough about the Bible to really share, right? You know who else said that? Moses, okay? In Exodus, a lot of us know who Moses is. God shows up in a burning bush and says, hey, listen, you're going to go do these things for me. And he says, who am I? I'm not qualified for this. I don't have enough experience. I can't lead people. And he comes up with five excuses about why he shouldn't do it. And lack of knowledge or experience was one of them. And maybe you share the same idea. I'm not qualified for this. Well, if you have faith, Jesus said you have the Holy Spirit. And if you have the Holy Spirit, then you have the Holy Spirit's power to do what? Tell people about Jesus everywhere, right? Lack of knowledge, maybe that's your excuse. The last one is need for approval, and this is usually in the realm of families or close friends. If I share with them or if I challenge them in their faith, maybe they won't be my friend anymore. Maybe my family won't include me anymore. A lot of times we need that idea of approval in our lives. But as real friends and real family, we need to show concern, concern for what matters, and that's their eternal state. Need for approval. So the question this morning is, is what are your barriers? That's the first step, is really trying to identify what prevents you from developing, sharing your faith as a spiritual habit, something you just do often in your life. What are those barriers? That's a great question to ask. Now, at this point, you're probably thinking, well, how do we do it then? What's the approach that we should take? And so that's what we're going to look at the rest of the time. And so we're going to look at how we approach sharing our faith. So if it's a habit that we need to have, how should we actually do that? And to understand this, we're going to go to Acts chapter 17. So if you have a Bible with you, you can go to Acts 17, or it's going to be on the screen, so you're fine there. And so you can either follow along or go along in your Bibles, but Acts chapter 17. And before we read it, I just kind of want to give you context, okay? So remember, Acts is all about the acts of the Holy Spirit and the disciples, and God is working through Paul, and Silas, and Timothy at this point. And at the beginning of Acts 17, we find Paul, Silas, and Timothy in Thessalonica, this, this city. And it says that they were there and they were turning the world upside down with the message of the resurrection. And so they're sharing Jesus. They're telling people about Jesus everywhere. And they're turning the world upside down. And these people in Thessalonica don't like it. And they say, get out of our city. And they drive them out of Thessalonica. And so Paul doesn't take offense to it. That's cool. He moves on to a town called Berea. And so Silas, Timothy, and Paul are in Berea, and guess what they do there? They tell people about Jesus everywhere, and they talk about the resurrection, and they turn the world upside down. The people in Thessalonica are like, hey, I think they're just one town over. We should probably go drive them out there too. So those people go to Berea, and they drive them out. Silas and Timothy stay in Berea, but Paul, for some reason, had to get on a boat, and he said, I'm out of here because I fear for my life. And so he gets on this ship and it's headed toward Athens. And that's where we pick up the story in Acts chapter 16. And we're going to read it all the way through verse 34. Acts chapter 17, verse, verse 16 through 34. And I'm going to try to keep you engaged, so don't, don't phase out on me, okay? So you with me? Okay. 
Because sometimes when I read a lot, I even get bored myself in my head, okay? And so let's, let's read this. Acts 17, 16 through 34, it says, While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was waiting for Silas and Timothy to come with him, he was deeply troubled by all the idols he saw everywhere in the city. He went to the synagogue to reason with the Jews and the God-fearing Gentiles, and he spoke daily in the public square to all who happened to be there. He also had a debate with some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers. When he told them about Jesus and his resurrection, it's very important, they said, what's this babbler trying to say, to, what's this babbler trying to say with these strange ideas he's picked up? Others said, he seems to be preaching about some foreign gods. Then they took him to the high council of the city. Come and tell us about this new teaching, they said. You are saying some rather strange things, and we want to know what it's all about. It should be explained that all the Athenians, as well as the foreigners in Athens, seem to spend all their time discussing the latest ideas. And we're going to stop there, so let's just rehash. And so Paul arrives in Athens, and he takes time, and he starts to see what's going on there. And he's deeply troubled because there's all these idols everywhere. And so he sees the problem at hand, and he goes, and he starts to talk to uh, three people groups. The people at the synagogue, the people in the public square, and the philosophers of their time. And because of his message, and because the Athenians love new things, they said, hey, we're going to take you to the Areopagus, which is where people share their philosophies and their gods, their religions, all this stuff, because we love to learn new things. And so if the Areopagus is where we think it is, it's on Mars Hill, and if that's the case, then Paul is brought to this place where in front of him is the Doric Temple, and on the right is, is the Parthenon. And around him would have been thousands of idols made of gold, silver, or bronze. And in front of him were standing all these intellectual philosophers at this point. And they brought him there and said, share. What would you do? I'm like, I would never do that. I don't know if I could say anything. Like, I don't... But Paul keeps going. Let's see what he says to them. It's actually pretty astounding. So Paul, standing before the council, addressed them as follow. Men and women of Athens, I notice that you are very religious in every way. For as I was walking along, I saw your many shrines. And one of your authors had this inscription on it, to, know, to an unknown God. This God whom you worship without knowing is the one I'm telling you about. He is the God who made the world and everything in it. Since he is the Lord of heaven and earth, he doesn't live in man-made temples, and human hands can't serve his needs, for he has no needs. He himself gives life and breath to everything, and he satisfies every need. From one man, he created all the nations throughout the whole earth and decided beforehand that they should rise and fall, and he determined their boundaries. His purpose was for the nations to seek after God and perhaps, perhaps feel their way toward him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and exist, as some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. And since this is true, we shouldn't think of God as an idol designed by craftsmen from gold or silver or stone. God has overlooked people's ignorance about these things in earlier times, but now he commands everyone everywhere to repent of their sins and turn to him 
For he has set a day for judging the world with justice by the man he has appointed. And he proved to everyone who did this by raising him from the dead. Amazing, isn't it? The commentator F.F. Bruce calls this a masterpiece of communication because he takes time to unpack these spiritual truths about God, but he also takes time to unpack these spiritual truths about themselves, about their need for God. And then he goes on and he, he continues to basically usurp all their thoughts at this point about their religious systems. If you have time to go look at that more, please do. We don't have time to get it in today. And so that's how Paul responds with his opportunity. And let's see how they respond. When they heard Paul speak about the resurrection of the dead, some laughed in contempt. Others said, we want to hear more about this later. That ended Paul's discussion with them, but some joined him and became believers. Among them were Dionysus, a member of the council, a woman named Demarius, and others with them. So God has commissioned us to share our faith, and we fall short, don't we? And here I am telling you that we got to be like this, where we've just, hey, we can't measure up to that, can we? I'm not asking you to be like Paul today. Not all of us are going to have those opportunities. Not all of us are going to be like Billy Graham. Not all of us are going to be like those type of people who have those opportunities. But God has placed you where you are with the people you're with. We just read that. So that you can tell people about Jesus everywhere. And so let's look at how do we approach sharing our faith based on how Paul did it right there. First, our approach to sharing our faith, we need to have compassion that leads to zeal. Compassion that leads to zeal. First, he had compassions. We're taught it right there. He was deeply troubled by all the idols he saw. Now that word troubled there really brings with it the idea of anger or a righteous anger. And so Paul shows up in Athens, and you know what? He's heard about Athens his entire life, this hub of intellectual conversation and all of this stuff. And he gets there, and he's deeply angered by what he saw because the population of Athens was 10,000 people, but the population of idols was around 30,000. Can you imagine showing up and seeing 30,000 shrines everywhere? Idols everywhere, all in the town square, all around. He sees this, and he's deeply troubled. This idea of a gut-wrenching compassion for these Athenians because they believed a lie. A polytheistic, multiple God lie. And he wants them to know the truth. It's a lot like Jesus. When you read in the Gospels and he's on a boat and he usually gets to the shore. I love how it usually starts. He gets to the shore and it will say that Jesus sees the crowd. The disciples see him too and they say, not again. Send him away. But it always says, not always, but most of the time it says, Jesus had compassion on the crowd. You want to know why? Because they were lost. They were sheep without a shepherd. They've been believing a lie in their lives, whatever it may have been. It's the same thing with Paul. He gets to Athens. He's righteously angry about this lie that people have been teaching these people, so he wants to share with them the truth. 
And so that's exactly what he does. His compassion leads to zeal. He goes, goes and talks to the Jews and God-fearing Gentiles like he does in every city. Then he goes to the public square and talks to those people, which probably are the merchants and the peasants and stuff like that. And then he goes to the other end of the spectrum and starts debating with philosophers. I imagine his tactics for each people group were different, but that's exactly what he does. He was zealous. If you don't know what zealous means, it means passion. I didn't want to use compassion and passion in the same thing. It's kind of confusing. So compassion leads to zeal. Compassion leads you to do something about how you feel. Because in our lives, we may feel compassion, but sometimes we're not zealous. Or we may be zealous, but we may not be compassionate about it. And so here's what we have to understand today, is that compassion without zeal will lead to apathy. So you can be compassionate all you want. You can say, oh, they're lost. They don't know Jesus. And then go in your house. That's apathy, right? You can be compassionate all you want, but if you, don't, if you aren't zealous, if you aren't passionate about it to do something, then that compassion kind of means nothing in the end. And then on the flip side, you can be zealous all you want, super passionate and get in people's face, but if you don't have compassion, then you're just arrogant and they're not going to like you, okay? I'm speaking from experience, all right? Zeal and compassion, compassion and zeal need to go together. They need to be married with one another so that you have this compassion or you're deeply troubled by what's going on in front of you, by what you see, and that leads you to have passion for Jesus. We need to have passion for others and a zeal for Jesus. Passion for others is your horizontal passion, compassion for others. And zeal for Jesus, it's your vertical. Compassion that leads to zeal. That's a great way to begin sharing your faith. Opening your eyes, seeing who's around you, feeling it, and then doing something about it. Whatever you can. The next thing we need to accept and appreciate. The first thing he does is he accepts where they're at. He doesn't say, wow, you need to burn all your idols Right? He doesn't come in with that mentality. He actually meets them on their level and he says, hey, I noticed you're super religious. That's almost like, I feel like he was being sarcastic there. Like, well, you have, do you have enough idols? So he notices that they're very religious in every way, so he meets them there. He's not trying to debunk anything. He's just saying, hey, I get you. You're religious. Awesome. We're halfway there. It's not like they're atheists at this point. They believe in a higher power. So he meets them right where they are. He accepts them where they're at. How many times have we gotten into conversations about faith, about God, about Jesus, where we forget to accept people where they're at? And we think they should be here, but they're actually here. We need to allow people to be where they are to see them take their next steps. We need to accept them. And not only that, we also have to appreciate them. Notice how he doesn't go in again. He doesn't go in and say, hey, you have it all wrong. No, he figures out how to appreciate their devotion to a higher power. And he finds his little, remember, Jesus sent the disciples out, uh, innocent as doves, wise as serpents. He figures out, how can I engage with them 
Well, he finds to an unknown God. In Athens, they had that unknown God. You want to know why? Because just in case they forgot one. Like, in case we miss one, we have it. It's like a fallback plan. Isn't that funny? I think that's funny. It's all right. We're going to just have that just in case. Paul sees it and says, that's my end. That's how I can, can go ahead and share Jesus with them. I'm going to appreciate their idea of worshiping a higher power, but I'm going to tell them who that higher power actually is, and it's Jesus. I know who that God is you're worshiping over there. It's the only God that you need. And so he accepts and he appreciates them. He meets them on their level and he appreciates their mentality in life, but he wants to steer them in the right direction and he takes that opportunity and that's the next point. Not only do we need to have compassion that leads to zeal, not only do we need to accept and appreciate where people are at and not force them into a realm where they're not, we also need to influence. I want to highlight those words right there. When they heard Paul speak, Paul had a choice. Paul had a choice. He was with these people and they said, hey, come to the Areopagus and and share in front of all these people. He could have said no. He could have said, hey, I'm waiting for my friends. I'm good. But But he took it. He took the opportunity. He stepped up. He stepped out of his comfort zone. Who knows what he was feeling there? Probably a sense of inadequacy. Probably a sense of, I'm not good enough. Probably a sense of, what if they reject me? Or in other words, what if they kill me like the Thessalonians? But he took the opportunity. And when you take the opportunity, God does amazing things. Some laughed. Some wanted to hear more. But some joined him and became believers. Talk about influence. When you take the opportunity, at times, it can change the trajectory of someone's eternal state. Talk about opportunity. Talk about taking that step out of our comfort zone to share with people about Jesus everywhere. And it can literally alter their eternal state. God using you. Influence. Influence. We need to have compassion that leads to zeal. We need to meet people where they are, accept them where they're at, appreciate their thought processes. That doesn't mean you're going to lose your convictions or put your convictions aside, but it's just figuring out a way to engage them. And then we need to take the opportunity to influence because who knows, some may join and become believers. And so what are our next steps here? First, we need to draw close. We need to draw close. I love, it says, Peter showed up in Athens and he saw. We need to open our eyes and see what's going on around us. Not, not in the nation, okay, maybe that, maybe, whatever, but I'm talking about in your homes, talking about with your immediate family, with your friends, your coworkers, just open your eyes. See where they're at. See what's going on. Draw close to them. Bring them in. In a culture where we keep building decks in the backyard and putting up massive fences, keeping people out, 
We need to be the opposite and draw people in and bring them close so that we can show them our compassion for them and be zealous for Jesus in his name. And not only that, then once we draw close, then we need to start building the bridge. That's what acceptance and appreciation is. That's bridge building, okay? That's bridge building. We're going to build a bridge so that there's mutual trust, so that we can listen to each other, so I'm not coming in all arrogant, they're not coming in all defensive, but yet we're meeting each other eye to eye, valuing one another where they're at. That is bridge building. The Mackinac Bridge took three years to build. That's in Michigan, all right? Great state. That's three years to build, okay? And they built it. You want to know why? Because in the winter, there were no boats that could get through the thick ice of the Great Lakes. And they said, wow, we're losing all this opportunity with the Upper Peninsula, so why don't we build a bridge? So they did. And once that bridge was built, it opened up amazing opportunities to the Upper Peninsula. It's the same thing with sharing our faith. As we accept, as we appreciate That is bridge building. It may take time. It may take effort. You may lose friends. Your relationships may be strained. But you know what? Keep building the bridge. Because once it's done, it opens up opportunity for influence. And once you build that bridge, then you can do what God calls us to do. Tell God's story and then let God work. Tell God's story and let God work. Sharing your faith is not about you. It's not about me. It's about the eternal state of others and the glory of Jesus. And so listen, we need to develop sharing our faith as a spiritual habit, but it's how we do it that truly matters in our lives. Okay? Now, if you're here today and you're like, I don't even have faith. I don't even know what faith means. Well, listen, I'm so glad you're here today because you're just like those people in Athens. You have a choice today. Because the gospel is the fact that Jesus took on human form for us and he did that so he could die in our place on the cross bearing all of our sins, your sins, my sins, past, present, uh, and future And he did that, but then three days later, he rose again in victory, defeating death with death so that we could have life and life to the full. And we can attain salvation by faith in Jesus Christ. That is it. That's all that's necessary in life. That is the gospel. And if you don't have faith today, listen, you have a choice. You're just like the people in Athens. You can either laugh at what I just said. You know what? That's okay. Or you can want more. Or you can believe. So I want to challenge you to believe today. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the fact that you use imperfect people to enact your perfect plan. God, I thank you for the fact that you use us in this community and people's lives, that you have placed them in our lives for a purpose, for a reason. And so, God, I pray that we would have compassion for those around us, that we would be zealous for your name, wanting people to follow you and have faith in you, that we would accept and appreciate people where they're at, not force them out of where they're at. 
And ultimately, give us the power and the ability to influence, to take that step. Because maybe we can alter someone's eternal state by your power and by your grace. God, we love you and we give you all the glory today. We pray this in your name. Amen.